In this episode of Octal FM, we're going to continue our series looking at years in gaming. Close your eyes and imagine. Nintendo has released the Famicom Disk System. Sega has just released the Master System. And a new fledgling company has been founded out of Media Technology Limited called Bethesda Softworks. This time, in this episode, we're going to take a look at the games of 1986. Hello and welcome to another episode of Octal FM. I'm Gelada. And I'm Sefran. And today we're back with our recurring uh, segment, a recurring set of episodes of our uh, Year in Gaming mm. series, where we look at a particular year in video game history and talk about games that are were important for the time, but also maybe important for us. Yeah. I mean, we weren't alive in, in 1986, which is the year that we're covering this time. But in terms yeah. of sort of historical importance for maybe games that we're playing you know now or or games that came out a lot later on Uh, and today we're talking about 1986 Uh, Mm -hmm. previously when we started this series we talked about 1985 so you can Mm -hmm. go back and listen to that uh, episode if you haven't already Uh, and we're not going to cover like obviously every single game in Mm. from 1986 that would be it would be a long episode Um, but you know we're just going to touch upon games that we think are particularly important or kind of interesting yeah. to talk about or maybe you know maybe things where you're like huh i didn't realize that that's when that started you know like mm. it's back in 1986 or the importance or of that game or that yeah. series of games etc like games that you are playing now that are you know affected by some of these games that came out back then yeah we had that in the previous episode of this series as well where like some of the games we were talking about had influenced games that like were coming out that year for example yeah exactly exactly um and the other thing as well is that these are just going to be kind of brief overviews of each game we're not going to mm. be going into like an in-depth review of each oh, one or anything no. like that so if you're interested in a particular game that we talk about I highly recommend going and checking out like some content elsewhere to look into a more in-depth you know deep dive into the game mm. yeah. um whereas today we're just kind of like making people aware of things because i think it's important mm. to identify the history of gaming as well mm. um, yeah that's a really important part of our culture so we should definitely uh discuss it and make it known yeah and uh 1986 when i was looking at you know what came out then and and what games we could talk about and what what games are interesting i kind of felt like this is the year that's smash brothers was basically like <laughs> yeah. this this year 1986 was when smash brothers was destined to become a reality because it's the year <laughs> of nintendo like just you know smashing out the new new ip new franchises new characters mm-hmm. you know and in fact we're not even going to go into too much detail because there's so much right from nintendo in 1986 Yeah, so, I mean, the obviously big ones are the original Legend of Zelda came out this year, Metroid came out this year, 
the the proper second Super Mario game came out, the the Lost Levels as we know it in the mm-hmm. West. Um, and the other one was Kid Icarus, which is mm. slightly less known. I mean, most people know of Kid Icarus, but maybe it's like not as quite as famous most as those previous know three. Now from Smash Brothers, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. No yeah. That's exactly it. Um, and we, we're going to talk about that one a little bit, just because I think it's worthwhile talking about that game. It's, it's not had the hugest impact, but it was still a big game nonetheless. And the other thing to keep in mind as well is that some of these games did have multiple releases. Mm. Um, so we're talking about the first instance of the release yeah. uh, and their first territories. And most of these came out in Japan like several years before they came out elsewhere in the world. So mm. if you remember playing one of these games when you were a kid in like 1991, then that's the reason. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Kid Icarus, like that, that's one that we can talk about because I don't want to talk about the rest of them. We, we've done an higher episode of Metroid already. Like go back and listen to our <laughs> yeah. game club on Metroid. <laughs> Yeah. We really don't need to say more about Legend of Zelda again. Like we've talked Ever. about that at length Possibly. many times. <laughs> and to be honest with you, you could probably go back and just substitute our... We did talk about the original Super Mario Bros on the previous episode of A Year in Gaming. Yes. Um, yeah, we so did. just basically just listen to that for the Lost Levels because I, I think it's very, very much the same mm. opinions on everything, really. But yeah, as you said, like Kid Icarus is almost certainly now known just for pit from smash bros yeah uh although it's not just pit now it's like palatina and dark pit as well yes. i think isn't it pretty cool little game like it's, it's kind of interesting it has like several modes to it almost like the game isn't just sort of one style of game it, it's mostly a platformer that most people are like mm. aware of has like a bit of a, an ice climbers vibe to it like kind of climbing mm. up a vertical screen yeah but then it also has like elements of traditional um, action platformers where you're like running like left to right with like little projectiles but then you also have some on rail sections as well sort of like a gradius r type style mm. uh, where you're flying and you're shooting a bow and stuff like that it's funny because um kid icarus on the 3ds right kid icarus uprising which i mm. played i think was a launch title maybe for the 3ds i think it might have been yeah i don't know there's been so few kid icarus games right like I don't know. I mean, I guess there are more than I those two. I think that two, might just be it. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. But like that had the same thing. Like it had two modes. It had like a ground mode where you were kind of walking along and it was a bit more sort of open. And then you had an on rails flying section. Um, mm. And that was how the, the levels panned out, you know, so really kind of like carried on with that theme. But yeah, interesting that there's never really been that many Kid Icarus games, you know, I guess. In some ways, it's sort of similar maybe to things like Star Fox and Lilac Wars. You know, they sort of fill Mm. the gap there. And it's just never really been something that Nintendo has kind of like doubled down on particularly. I think it's fairly safe to assume that had Pit not been put in... uh, He was in Brawl, I think, for the first one, right? Mm. I I think if he'd not been put in Brawl, then I'm pretty confident they wouldn't have made a second game and it would just been another sort of interesting game, you know, consigned to the annals of history. Like Ice Climbers, right? Like you mentioned Basically, Ice Climbers, yeah, exactly know? the same as Ice Climbers in Smash Bros. Then that kind of got became known because of it. I mean, that's exactly how Fire Emblem came to the West, you know? Oh, yeah. Like Fire Emblem wasn't a thing in the West until Roy and Marth were put into Smash Bros. Melee. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I, it, it, but the thing is, it's kind of an interesting little game. Like it's not anything too crazy, but 
it, it had like lots of nice ideas and it was sort of a fun game that was kind of tightly made. Hmm. Um, there were there were lots of sort of small smart decisions like how they had similar sort of like power progressions as like Metroid where you could pick up missable power-ups like buy power-ups from a shop and, and you had to like earn power-ups by like completing trials and stuff like that. It was hmm. kind of cool. Like it felt like you were earning power-ups rather than just simply like hitting a block getting them like you would in Mario or something, you know. Um, which is kind of cool. And plus it looks really nice as well. Like it, it, for a game from 1986, I think they did a really good job. Like it looks quite nice for that style of hardware, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. But it's not the game that has the strongest legacy. But the the, no. the next game that we want to talk about properly in depth, this has a strong legacy. This yeah. is a legacy that's still coming out to this day, in fact. Yeah. like And is also uh, in Smash uh, Brothers. <laughs> yes, it is in Smash Bros. I didn't even make that connection. Yeah, it is. Um, and that's Dragon Quest. Yes. The original Dragon Quest. It was known in America as Dragon Warrior yes. because it sounds more manly, I guess. Yeah, is that um, why? Is that why the first one that I played, which was on the Game Boy, is Dragon Warrior Monsters? Because probably that was like yeah. a, that was the name translation. Um, and this one was pretty much the first instance of a JRPG as we know it. Mm. So, like, there have been plenty of examples of like RPG games before, um, even some on like NES and and the Famicom. This was on the Famicom. But mm. a lot of them had either full story elements, they were just stories, or they tried to emulate the the Western style, like Dungeons and Dragons style RPGs that mm. were fairly popular at the time. And this one kind of took that formula and refined it and turned it into the game series that we know today mm. and basically invented the JRPG as we know it even now mm. for the most part. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of where, you know, essentially Final Fantasy can, like... Yes, it yeah, yeah. can draw its, you know, its origins from, right? I, th- I think the first Final Fantasy came out a year later. I think mm. the Final Fantasy one came out in 1987, if I remember mm. rightly. Um, but this one... This definitely influenced it, you know, 100%, no question. There was some slight design choice difference, for, for example, like in the battle, you would still be facing the enemy. So you would have like just the enemy in front of you and then just some menu showing like your character's health. Mm. Whereas in like Final Fantasy, for example, you had like almost like a side on view of your characters versus the enemy characters, yes. for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that was probably sort of like a little bit of a carryover from those old D&D western style RPGs where you were always in like a first person perspective. Yeah, exactly. Those sort of like like you say like the the kind of like really early dungeon crawlery type like you say like mm. weird first person views which actually kind of comes up later as well. But yeah, like this is the, the still still got a little bit of that, you know, it draw, draws a lot of inspiration from Ultima which I think we talked about last time um as yes, well. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. I mean, the Ultima series has is, is influenced many games, as we've mentioned in that previous yes. episode, but this is one that then taken that influence and then proceeded to influence countless games itself. Mm, you yeah. know, like Dragon Quest uh, Eleven, Super Ultra Max Edition, Final Cuts, <laughs> something or other, uh, you know, only came out like a couple of years ago. And then they did a re-release of like the XL Mode Plus, for example, yeah. like a, a year after that on the Switch. And yeah, like 
even to this day it's a huge huge franchise it's bigger in japan as well yes um, yeah. like the dragon quest franchise is far bigger in japan than it is in the west it's funny actually because i think dragon quest has never really been that big here even with the new ones even with no. like dragon quest it's been a little bit niche by comparison yeah i remember playing one on not gba or ds or something ds i mm. think maybe it's always felt quite niche in the west i think compared to compared to japan I guess the, the key comparison is to Final Fantasy, which was quite well received after Final Fantasy VII, um, mm. whereas it doesn't feel like Dragon Quest ever had that kind of breakout title that really cemented itself within the, the culture of Western gaming. Mm, yeah, um, exactly. Whereas Dragon Quest is now just sort of synonymous with JRPGs as a whole now within Japan. Yeah. Um, one, one of the things that I think is really cool, uh, and all the way back from 1986 to, to, to today, is that the kind of the lead art designer for the game and all the art direction is done by Akira Toriyama, who who's the author of Dragon Ball. Oh, okay. Um, like the anime and the, the, the manga series, mm-hmm. Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z. Uh, and you can see that too. You're like, you can look at the, yeah. the character art and you can then look at like Dragon Ball and you can see it's exactly mm-hmm. the same. You know, it's very, very similar. Yeah, even in Sim- the It's the same as... The with Chrono Trigger as well. Like that's why Chrono Trigger looks so similar to mm. um, Dragon Ball because Chrono Trigger was done by Akira Toriyama, which was also done by the same designer and writer as the, as the Dragon Quest series of games of Yuji Hori as well. Right. So like there was, there was quite a lot of like powerful talent involved in these games. Like even back then they were probably, Akira Toriyama definitely was well known, but even then Yuji Hori had already done some kind of fairly successful games within Japan. Um, so this was almost always destined for greatness for the most part, this, mm. this, this game. Yeah, it's interesting. It sort of feels like there was a real kind of like wealth uh, over the next, you know, with this kind of starting thinking about 1986, but then as the years progress, you know, like you say, Chrono Trigger, you've got like the manner of games at some point, yeah, in, yeah, Final definitely. Fantasy, like there's a lot of like, it feels like there was a huge kind of like horizontal sort of like set of them you know like around this kind of time like and and sort of over the next coming years we're probably going to be mentioning them as we as we work our way through the years yeah they were all eventually all effectively influenced by dragon Mm, quest so yeah it's it was a really interesting game it's it's not the best to play to do you know like i think older action games play a lot nicer compared to, say, older RPG games, because uh, yeah. they require more on sort of like those creature comforts, those mod cons, yeah. and it's very clunky. I think Compared to, say, for example, playing through, I don't know, like Super Mario or mm. the next game on our list, you know, those kind of games we can talk about, you could play even today and still enjoy, whereas I think trying to play the original Dragon Quest as it was yeah. then is probably not. Didn't we talk about this with um, Ultima as well? Or I, re- I definitely yeah, remember watching probably. a video of someone playing the original Ultima and being like, how on earth... Did you even did you even play this in 1985? <laughs> yeah. like, how, did, just, how did you have the patience for like, this? Like it's ridiculous. Seriously. Like it's so yeah. opaque and so yeah, weird, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. and just like things that you would never see in games today is like no. part of the game design of these games, like back. And I guess that's then. part of what you did in that there wasn't really design. No, back like, then. like game design wasn't really a thing. We were at this inventing point. it at this point. <laughs> Basically, yeah, they were still they were making it up as they went along. Like you think Mario was literally the year beforehand, and that was sort of considered to be sort of the first designed game exactly and that was for a platform a very different to a, an rpg so yeah but the, the next game has equally as big of a legacy maybe not quite as long lasting it's petered out a lot in recent years but this one has lasted the test of time it's something you could definitely play even today and enjoy mm. in the original format which is castlevania yes
again, Castlevania is one of those titles that you know everyone's heard of, but very few people have played. I feel mm. like I don't remember. I don't know many people that played the original Castlevania. No, I don't think I. I have. think most people know it from like Symphony of the Night, right, and the mm. DS games. Yeah. But the original Castlevania, that kind of interestingly, came out in 1986, but it came out on the Famicom disc system mm. originally. Okay. Um, so sort of the, the the disc system add-on for the for the original Famicom NES. Um, which is pretty cool. So that's why it sort of had a slightly higher, I don't know, spec sheet, I guess, like for, for a game back then. Like it looked mm. a bit nicer than it probably should have done. And, and it had like a save function and things like that, which for 1986, again, was relatively new. Yeah, it's also, you know, on um, PC and Amiga and stuff yeah. like that, right, where it makes a little bit more sense because of the fact, that, like you say, having a save system and stuff like that. And this one was developed by Konami. Uh, back when Konami still made games, you know, <laughs> and wasn't evil incorporated. <laughs> and it was very much one of their flagship titles. Like they really pushed for Castlevania as like a big game for them. And and it, and it lasted a long time because of that too, because they just did a really good job of, of inventing the horror genre for it for mm. me. Um, even back here in the original games, before, before the games became truly well known with things like Super Castlevania and right. Symphony of the Night, for example, even here you could see what they were trying to go for, which was sort of this fairly serious horror game. Like it wasn't trying to scare you, but it was trying to put you in this horror element. Mm. Like because the even even in 1986, there were some quite good Japanese horror games that were like genuinely quite creepy to play. Mm. But this took like more classical Western horror, things yeah. like Dracula and right. Frankenstein's monster yeah. and, and things like that. And it turned it into that style of horror. But then it also made you a bit of a badass too. Like mm. you were able to be like, feel like you were really slaying monsters, you know. Mm. Another game uh, in Smash Brothers. <laughs> yeah, that's the third one so far. Yeah, yeah third on the list. Yeah. It's a shame they're not all they're not all in Smash Brothers. That would have been great unintentionally. Yeah. I don't think the next two are in Smash Brothers, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, maybe there's a trophy for them. I think, there might, I think there might be, yeah. Um. But yeah, Castlevania is one of those that's it's spawned uh, a lot of different games that all have a very similar playstyle to them too. Um, but they've all been done in different ways. Like they've all had their own sort of spin on things. Um, they all sort of have the same basic idea of being there, a 2D platformer mostly. There's been, there were some of the 3D ones that kind of didn't do too well. There was the Lord of Shadow games. They were pretty fun. Um, they, they were a bit different. They, they almost felt like a bit of a Devil May Cry style mm. game. Mm. which we'll probably get to talk about like much later on yeah. uh, in future episodes, actually, because Dead May Cry is a great game. But yeah, it, it did really well, I think, because it had that hardcore difficulty of a game a bit like Ninja Gaiden, mm. right? Which had, I don't think Ninja Gaiden was out at this point. This came a little, that came a little bit later. And it had the hardcore difficulty, but unlike something like that, it was also quite fair in its difficulty as well. Like much of what caused you to die was a bit like Ghosts and Goblins from the previous episode. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Right? Is that you could avoid it. Yeah. You, know, you, you could play around it. Yeah. And although there was a live system, which was dumb, um, let's be honest, games like this do not need live systems. This is still the heyday of arcades. You know, mm. this is when like arcades were still very much things so that the design philosophy was still in the idea of arcades. Yeah. Then, but otherwise the, it felt like if you got good, you could do really well, you know, and and that was the main limitation was just you yeah. get good. It know? was definitely that, like you say, there's still a lot of inspiration here from arcade games, you know, that kind of style of like very, very low margin of error yeah. sort of style of gameplay where, you know, you've, you've you've got a fraction of a second to like get something right and like dodge something decision. or yeah. whatever. I think one of the other things that stands out for me is how 
great the bosses are in mm. the, even the original Castlevania. And that's even more so the case with future games. But even in this one in 1986, the bosses look really impressive. Like they're big, they are well detailed, they have sort of great attack patterns, they feel good to fight. You know, mm. like they did a really good job of making them feel super impactful, um, which I think is is really great. Mm. One thing sort of thinking about this kind of era and this this time of games is that there's some interesting kind of transitionary uh, game styles and like ways that games are played or particular sort of genres that either don't exist anymore or they, you know, they've they've completely changed and they're they're very different now or, you know, just sort of just mostly due to constraints of hardware at the time Mm. something that i always think is sort of interactive fiction right like interactive fiction games where you know it was just text describing things and you would like give direction you know and zork was from you know 19 the late 1970s like early 80s you know so really really old on like things like the pdp 11 which is like a (laughs) pc that you know a computer rather that's like a I don't know. It's just what not what you would look at it and not think that it's a computer. Run on like a set tape, yeah, you know, like, things like exactly. That. Lots of spindles, um, and and so our next game it sort of draws inspiration from some of those, and that's Space Quest. which is sort of a, you know, interactive fiction, but also kind of point and click, you know, has, has graphical components to it. And actually was on on computers, in inverted commas, you yeah. know, was on DOS, <laughs> was on Mac and, and Amiga and Atari. Like it was, it was that kind of, um, you know, again, drawing inspiration from interactive fiction, which, because you're typing, so it needs a keyboard. It's like, it's funny that that's sort of like a, a constraint here. A lot of the games that came out in this year, as we've already mentioned, they're all they're all Japanese and they're all on the Famicom, right? This mm. is an instance of of the Western PC market yes, still absolutely. doing very interesting stuff. Yeah, because at this point, there there was quite a th- a heavy differentiation between them like Mm. it's not like now where the games industry is sort of like you know fairly interconnected because of the you know the nature of the current world but uh, but back then like these were being made by like you know nerds in small office buildings in garages or something you know like (laughs) exactly Uh, uh, and this was very separate to the the designing of games say in japan or Mm. even the design of games say in the uk for example that had sort of like still that that very Mm. burgeoning scene of game development in the uk too Mm -hmm. you know very very different style of game design and you and you can tell from the geographical differences but style of design and the way the games were played etc yeah and and you can see how different something like space quest is to something like say i don't know castlevania yeah absolutely yeah and space quest is by sierra right like or published yeah. by was it developed and published by sierra right? yeah so it's kind of weird because sierra online which then later became sierra entertainment did do their own publishing for their own games but then they started to publish other stuff as well mm. that wasn't their own stuff and then they stopped, stopped making stuff entirely just published stuff like it was kind yeah. of weird but like for example one of the things that sierra published that like i didn't even was aware of was half-life back in the day yeah like half-life and all of its sort of like expansions was was published yeah. by sierra homeworld sierra uh, Ho- homeworld was published by sierra because they uh that was with relic entertainment yeah um 
you know, and they they publish Homeworld. And, but yeah, they were mostly well known for making sort of like the the adventure games. So yeah. they they made King's Quest, the original King's Quest, and all the subsequent um, sequels to that one. They also made the Leisure Suit Larry games, yeah. which was pretty much as a result of things like Space Quest, because mm. we're going to get onto why that was important, and lots of other sort of point and click adventure style story games. Yeah, um, some of them more known than others. Like I was looking through the list of the games that they've made, and I hadn't heard of like half of them honestly yeah it's a but very... this is the kind of days when like you'd go to a computer fair and you would pick up like a, you know a pack of floppy disks for for a new sierra game yeah definitely it's like they were really you know pumping out these these yeah, kind of yeah, like yeah. very you know formulaic sort of stuff it's kind of that like i don't know i akin it to like a certain type of book you know that's sort of like slightly trashy kind of like yeah. you know there's lots of them they all look the same they all have the same kinds of people on the front covers yeah you know, that's sort of mean. like fiction uh you can kind of just change out some of the nouns here and there yeah and, and, keep the book and it's like and, it you know and, and it's not surprising right that was that's a particular like business approach that they Mm. took you know much the same as actually we were talking about when we're talking about dragon quest and we talked about how there's also you know the mana games and final fantasy and all of these things were all being published by you know square enix this is kind of a similar thing in that you've got okay well we we know how to make it you know point and click or text-based adventure games so you know let's make more stories like all we need to yeah. do is just write more of them and it yeah. just just using the word just there but you know what i mean like, yeah and we can just refine this formula and just because you can tell so many different stories that will appeal to different people you know not yes. everyone likes sci-fi not everyone likes fantasy not everyone likes soft porn like <laughs> yeah like, yeah <laughs> Uh, but the thing is, they they had the the technical know how and the engine. Oftentimes, to just simply use the same specs they had, just right. insert new words into it to make a new game. Exactly. And although they they upgraded things over time, so for example, the original King's Quest was was really simple text based stuff, whereas sort of like later King's Quest games and things like Space Quest, they added sort of like a point and click element to things. They added right. like a visual element of things, etc. Um, and that's sort of why I want to talk about Space Quest was because it had. A really great looking, for the time, of course, but still <laughs> a great looking visual interface. So it was to this point, it was still text based. You still had to type in what you wanted to do, but you could see your character do these things rather than sort of like the old style of image, like, you know, look left, you look left. What do I see to that? Show yeah. me what to the, you know. It, it, it just went, you could control your character a little bit more directly and you had a little bit more feedback about what happened almost immediately. Mm-hmm. But what I think was also quite important was that this was, I feel like it's got to be, and quote me if I'm wrong, listeners, please do email in and let me know if I'm wrong, but it feels like this was one of the first games that stopped trying to take it too seriously because it was a comedy game. It was right. supposed to be funny. Like you played as Roger Wilco, uh, space janitor, you know, <laughs> you were something like a, a seventh, a seventh level ensign or something like the lowest rank on the ship. Feels very Red Dwarf, in fact, actually. Um, it feels like exactly point. the same plot with the Red Dwarf. I was also um, thinking um, Space Janitors, which is a Canadian web series by the same guy that one of the guys that did um, Puronich with Jeff LaPelle. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> all these things kind of play into each other. <laughs> it's like a very, it's a particular theme, isn't it? You know? It is. Space Janitors, like you wouldn't, it's so it's such a mundane thing in a yeah. sci-fi ridiculous environment yeah but yeah so and it was it was funny and it wasn't taking itself too seriously and that got even more so the case later on and this very much in my opinion pioneered the way for more light-hearted experiences mm. within the adventure style game 
It's like Monkey Island, right? It's the classic. I mean, that's where I was going to go with. Like, I I don't think you'd have had Monkey Island if you didn't have Space Quest. Mm. Because Monkey Island came out in 1990, I believe. Mm. And, you know, that that one's the one that everyone thinks of when they think of sort of action-adventure games. Yeah. And it's also a comedy at the same time. And it's brilliant. Yeah. But Space Quest was definitely the first and, mm. it, and it very much pioneered the way of it and and i think people really liked that change of pace as well like it was a very different breed of of game compared to things like king's quest which at the time weren't the king's quest got more funny king's quest kind of got a little bit more comedic but it was still had a slight seriousness to it mm. but then you had things like leisure suit larry for example which was like you say like softcore porn um but then, you know, you had so many other points click adventure games that just sort of decided to go in different, interesting, weird and wacky ways. Like, if you didn't have this, you wouldn't have had, say, LucasArts making Monkey Island, and then you wouldn't have had them making all the other games they had, and then you wouldn't have had, say, for example, Double Fine making the game, the interesting and comedy games that they made, mm. and that maybe wouldn't have had Telltale Games making the games that they made. Mm. So all these important studios within sort of the, the small niche of adventure story games within the gaming industry kind of all can be sent back to Space Quest, which I think is cool. Mm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's amazing what a difference one game can make on the whole industry. Absolutely. The final game that we've got on our list that we want to talk about um, is actually an arcade game, like, mm. that, that released at the time. And I always find it really interesting because it's so distinctive. Uh, it even, it's so distinctive, it has, like, its own music genre. Um, like, yeah, it has yeah, its, yeah, yeah. It, you know, it has a very, very particular style that doesn't really apply to much else right and actually we talked about a precursor to this game which was space harrier yes um and the but the game that came out in 1986 is outrun Which is a game that you know you can you can play it now. You can play. There's a lot of homages to um, to Outrun that you can play nowadays. Um, but this was the original came out in 1986 on the arcades and and mm-hmm. was and was made by Sega, like like mm. developed by Sega, not just yeah. published by Sega. No, not just published by Sega. This was back when arcades were still kind of seen as the as the primary form of gaming entertainment and and the home consoles were just sort of they were just that they were for they were arcades at home Hmm. you know they weren't considered to be their own thing at this point they were just sort of like the the watered down home home versions of what you would otherwise Hmm. go to the arcade to play Hmm. Hmm. so outrun was important because it was a physical thing you interact with this everyone had if you ever went to an arcade everyone had the experience of seeing outrun and being oh so cool i can climb into a car mm-hmm. yeah you know yeah. and that that still felt today with all the sort of like you know uh sega rally games and the mario kart game and all the other sort of like you know racing games that you have in yeah. the arcades even today you know when you go into like a bowling alley or something uh, and and it feels like Arrow wasn't the first to do this at all. There were plenty of games that had sort of like vehicle-esqueness to them. For example, even the year beforehand, Outrun's predecessor was Hang On, which mm. was a motorcycle-based game. But it wasn't quite as accessible because it, it didn't feel quite as natural to sit on a mini motorbike Mm-mm. and to try and turn the motorbike. as it, That went later, went away. For example, I remember one game that was really successful. That was like, was it like... Um, tt time trial sport or something mm. like that i can't remember but that one sort of did it a little bit better but outrun outrun really captured that sense of like creating an interesting experience within an arcade by adding the car element to the game 
whilst also making the game feel very responsive and smooth. Yeah, like one of the things, the great things about OutRun is that it really conveys speed very well. You know, yes. like everything is kind of flying by you, you know, and it's, and, but, and I think it's just a very, very particular art style you know that oh, very, that yeah. like california west coast um beach you know palm trees that kind of like like which i'm guessing it is set set in inverted well, commas on the west coast you suzuki and the the team who worked on it from sega they went to europe to get some inspiration um which is why they uh they chose the, the famous red ferrari testarossa car mm. because that's one of the cars that they saw in in italy when they were visiting yeah uh, and they were sort of like, a net, they were like, oh, wow, it's so beautiful sort of thing. You know, it's so, because like, it's so much nicer looking than like, any Japanese cars that we have. Yeah. You know, they were kind of like, almost kind of boring and utilitarian by comparison. Which is funny because I don't really think that the Testarossa really did that well, relatively speaking, for Ferrari. And I don't, I don't think it was that great. And I don't think it was that beautiful as a Ferrari goes. But it's funny that it's very, very iconic from an Outrun It is very iconic. It is yeah, like, like the Outrun car. <laughs> The back of the the Aaron car is so iconic. It's like, also in like you Miami Vice you know as well. Is. Like so, it's like very like like that kind of all of that sort of stuff put together in like the eighties kind of like culture. You know, like yeah, all yeah, of that, yeah. that aesthetic. Yeah, for sure. I think was you, you've already hit the nail on the head though. In the the game itself was was fun, but it wasn't anything super revolutionary. Like it was nice, it was smooth, it looked really nice. Like the like you said the the environments that you raced through felt good and it was smooth and it felt fast but it was the it was the style of it the feel of it mm. which was so impressive like yeah. for example the music like you said you could oh, select yeah. your own track yeah. like that was cool like being able to choose your own style of music and the music was very very 80s cool you know yeah and and it just had this sort of like this style to it that when you were in an arcade you saw it and it just stood out you know and I, I don't know if you could really say that this is the reason that we have racing games today. I, I think that's probably being too much of a stretch. <laughs> I mean, at racing, you know? there, were, there was, you know, racing was already a concept before that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. It's not like how Dragon Quest practically invented mm. JRPGs in a lot of ways. This isn't quite like that, but it's still a really notable arcade machine. Mm. which I think still stands out. Like, I, I remember seeing Outrun machines, you know, when I was, like, mm. going to holiday camps and stuff in the UK when I was, like, you know, 10 or 11 or whatever. Mm. You know, that would have been, like, 20 years on from when it would originally have come out, sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> you yeah. know? Like, and, and I guarantee you there's still going to be old arcades, you know, old bowling alleys somewhere that still have these machines running. Yeah. Um, you know? And they're still fun. You know, you can still sit down and you can still kind of enjoy them. And they, they have this, that really distinctive style to them. I think one of the other cool things about it as well is how the the people that worked on it also sort of like pioneered other quite interesting things like like Space Hero from the previous episode was the same team but then they also did things like virtual racing and virtual fighter sort of mm. those like you know tr- proper first of their their kind mm. 3D mm. polygon style games yeah exactly so it's a forward thinking team very very ambitious mm. for for the time yeah those are the kind of you know chunky games from 1986 the sort of most influential or we think most influential or most kind of significant uh there's a few others as well uh things like bubble bobble i came out yeah, originally yeah, yeah, in 1986 yeah. and, and you know who they didn't know what uh you know absolute overload of mobile versions there would be oh, of that kind of game i think i think i remember rightly as well as bubble bubble was like one of the highest taking arcade games ever <laughs> even when you compare them to things like 
Pac-Man yeah. and Space Invaders wow. because people just couldn't stop playing it to get further and yeah, get further yeah. and get further. Like it was ridiculously addictive. Crazy. Um, Crazy. It, it just it made it just printed money for arcade owners. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so, so that fun. was that was a really cool game that that didn't really do anything specifically special and hasn't really left a significant legacy of itself. But it's just one of those kind of well-known games that yeah. everyone kind of knows about. You know, there's also um, Arachnoid, right? Which is like the like a newer breakouts breakout was 1970 like late 1970s and so i don't think it did anything different to Breakout. No, it's other than it just was a new game that looked nicer right <laughs> yeah slightly no i mean as, <laughs> as much as like you know some some colored blocks can can be made to look nicer <laughs> and a ping pong ball <laughs> it was also the start of the might and magic series mm. which has had so many games now i don't even know how many games are in the might and magic series but this was the beginning of that and that sort of similar sort of style of like those those western style rpgs starting to do something a bit different again there's 10 of them 10 mind magic games and that's not including any spin-offs or expansions and the rest of it so yeah there's been so many of them yeah that's main series only oh yeah i mean there's a lot because there's heroes of might and magic like all of that's like that's like huge spin-off huge amounts of different games you also had a couple of um like console platforms that a lot of people have very fond memories of if they're slightly sort of older like Mm than us so like in your kind of mid 30s mid to late 30s Mm. maybe things like adventure island Mm. and alex alex kid yeah yeah like i mean i did just about play alex kid but i i think it was a a little bit old by the time i played it but this was sort of like the time when alex kid could have been the mario of of the game industry you know and for a long time sega wanted him to be their mascot Mm. and then like sonic just did so well that that's kind of what they went with but Mm. Alex Kidd really was sort of like the the go-to platformer of the day. It had some kind of interesting mechanics. I remember specifically, like, I loved the idea that I had, like, cool power-ups, like being able to, like, use a motorbike uh, mm. and, and, like, different vehicles and stuff. That felt, like, mm. really special to, a, like, a, a five-year-old me. It's funny, like, it's, like, very, like, gold rush time for platformers. You know, like you say, oh, like, yeah, it's, like, yeah. p- literally, like, you know, team game developers picking their future permanent mascot kind of thing like thinking about like sonic and mario and alex kids I mean, like and that didn't like, go away been... right because i mean even going to forward, far forward into the playstation era that's exactly what crash bandicoot was right yeah, yeah you know inspire the dragon i mean croc yeah. you know yeah, yeah, all yeah. these get all these games on the playstation was vying to be playstation's mascots yeah, yeah they were trying for ages they never really managed it <laughs> I, I guess you could i guess Crash Bandicoot probably is the closest thing, I guess but so. it still isn't quite as iconic as something like Mario or Sonic. Sonic, or, yeah, exactly. You know. um, one game as well that I wanted to mention because it kind of is important to us in a way is Starflight, mm. which was uh, it's kind of hard to describe. It was it was a space sim style game, so you can see where we're going with this one. Yeah, um, that was inspired by the original Elite, um, but then it inspired future kind of space sim tradey games as well uh, in the future and. It just went for an open world or rather open space approach where you again you could choose sort of what you did and where you went. Um, so that was that was a special game that didn't quite do enough to revolutionise the industry, but has a fairly special attachment for us. Yeah, very like kind of just quite left field stuff. Like really, yes, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, like yeah. it's not really like I don't know, just very out on its own, doing its own thing. Quite <laughs> quite different to everything else. And then the last one was Gauntlet 2, because mm. Gauntlet did so well 
Like it's sold mm. so ridiculously. And then they made Gauntlet 2, which is just sort of more of the same, but bigger and better, which mm. is very much the the mandate of the day, really, for, for any popular arcade game. Mm. You know, it's like, do the same thing again, but yeah. make it shinier yeah. and maybe add like an extra character or something. Definitely. And then just sell the whole cabinet again. Yeah. <laughs> which, <laughs> you know. And they were expensive, so... Oh, they were very expensive, but they also made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, back in the 80s, like arcades printed money effectively. So, so yeah, they, they were just some honourable mentions that we don't feel quite deserved the main discussion point and maybe didn't have quite as much of an impact on the gaming industry as a whole mm. uh, or the culture of gaming as a, as a whole, mm. but they were still worthwhile mentioning. Yeah. Um, now, I'm sure we've missed off some some key games that you want us to have talked about that you think how on earth have you missed that one um but obviously we can only talk about so many of them so if we have missed out on any do please let us know get in touch and, and tell us which games that we've criminally underrepresented absolutely send us an email show at octal.fm or tweet us at octal.fm on twitter or facebook facebook.com forward slash octal.fm or mm. Instagram even, octal.fm. I usually forget about Instagram, but it's there. I was going to say, you do, yeah. That's, that's um, a rare one for you. It is one. there. Um, and uh, yeah, don't forget also, you know, review us, like us, subscribe, do all, all the things. things. Tell us that you do them and we'll send you some stickers. Yeah. Um, still got a few left. Uh, and uh, yeah, this has been uh, fun looking back at 1986. Um, mm. Not that far off getting to the point where we were born. Uh, yeah, few, that's it. Yeah, we're starting years. to get to the games where we were we were in the alive for yeah. now. I feel like this um, is the one. This is you know, there's definitely a gap in my knowledge around this kind of time. So I'm interested yeah. to see how that changes or not. Maybe because I came to game video gaming quite late compared yes. to compared to you. I think um, in the sense that my first console was a Nintendo 64. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to to see as we go on. And you know, if you've got a game that you think we should talk about, hundred percent. You know, yeah. the next couple years ahead then definitely let us know uh with those otherwise we're just going to choose the most popular ones because that's what gets the clicks well yeah, exactly. actually but that's the ones we'll end up talking about most likely <laughs> anyway exactly. so yeah do please let us know if there's any games in particular that you think really deserve a mention in for the 1987 episode which will be coming out probably in a couple of months time we, we're trying mm. to like paste these out so uh yeah give it a little while and the next episode will be out fairly soon yeah exactly but until then i've been gelada and I've been Sefran. And catch us again for another episode of Octal FM very soon. So we've done two so far, 1984 and 1985. So go back no, and no, listen no, to No, 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 we didn't do 94. Did we not? Did we only do one? No, we did 85, but then we did 2007 as like the, the original one. We did not done 1984. I could have sworn no. we did. No, we decided to start at 85. Oh my god, my mind is blown. I literally, <laughs> I literally don't believe you. I'm like looking it up on the website. Oh my god, you're absolutely right. Okay, fine, I'll, I'll do that again. And yeah, so today we're doing 1986. Well, I could do that again because I, I was reading the words 1985. There were notes of 1885, weren't you? <laughs> Okay, okay, no laughing. Stop laughing. What's funny is the past several episodes have had zero outtakes. I know, we've got two already. Fluffed it up. (laughs) It's because I've got the giggles out as well. (laughs) Which normally doesn't happen.